I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. You're listening to the Room 104 Podcast with Cormac Moore and Sir Shalon. FM 104. It is Room 104. It's Cormac and Saoirse here and I'm delighted to uh, welcome onto the show now someone who has had an incredibly interesting career over the last number of years and has an incredibly interesting story as well. Researches the science behind various different drugs from alcohol to class A drugs to ecstasy. Has had one of the most glorious sackings of all time and I hope he won't mind us that we're going to maybe chat about that in a few moments. He is currently the... Uh, Edwin J. Safra, Professor of Neuropsychopharmacology. I'm giving myself an award for pronouncing that correctly first time. And is also the uh, Director of the Neuropsychopharmacology Unit in the Division of Brain Sciences. An incredibly intelligent, incredibly important man as well. Professor David Nutt, thanks a million for joining us on the show. You're very kind, thank you. No worries at all. We are, we're delighted to be speaking to you and uh, talking about some of the work you've been doing over the last uh, last number of years and last 30 years. Um, for people who may not be 100% familiar with your story. Um, you used to be a government employee and be an advisor to the UK government and that came to an unfortunate crashing halt. Yeah, I, w- I was the chief drugs advisor for, for about 10 years and then I was sacked in 2009. And basically for pointing out what I think everyone knew, that if you looked at all the different harms that drugs do and then totted them all up, alcohol was the most harmful drug in the UK by a considerable margin. But the government didn't want to know that because the government likes to pretend that alcohol is just a, a drink and a social lubricant. And they really want to bury their head in the sands about the real harms of alcohol, which every family in Britain, and I imagine every family in Ireland, has got someone who's been damaged by alcohol. Yeah, no, I mean, alcohol has been huge. It's ingrained in our society, obviously, over the last few years as just a social drink. And obviously, we had big problems over the last couple of weeks and last weekend with pubs wanting to open sooner during the lockdown. But when you say alcohol is the most problematic drug in, you know, in our country and probably around the world in many ways as well, what evidence are you kind of basing that on? Well, let's look at deaths. Three million, probably three and a half million deaths now uh, each year, premature deaths in the world from alcohol, second only to tobacco. So it kills a lot of people. The difference between alcohol and tobacco is that tobacco kills old people, whereas alcohol kills a lot of young people. Alcohol is the leading cause of death in men, the United Kingdom, under the age of 50. And women under 50 are now drinking more than men, and it'll be the leading cause of death in women under 50 very shortly. So it, it's, a, it's a fun drug, but it's also you know, potentially a very dangerous drug. 
Now, when we talk about alcohol, obviously we're talking about um, we were introduced to alcohol probably underage at times. It was always, you know, a happy occasion that you would be drinking and mm. not looked at as dangerous, really. I know, obviously, we now know the side effects and, you know, there has been studies that have said, you know, they can ca- it can cause cancer and so on. But why do you think that it's a drug that has been so widely available to us for such a long time? Well, it's, uh, there are two major explanations. The first is it's been strongly linked to the church and certainly, you know, the the wine going going back to the Bible, wine being part of communion, you know. So 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 it's always had a special place uh, in, in in religion. And religion, of course, mm. has until the last century been an enormously powerful influence. I mean, in your country, even more so than mine. So that's the first thing. The second thing is, until about 1850, unless you lived in the really in the countryside, you couldn't drink water because water was was a source of germs. So people basically drank what was called small beer, about two to two and a half percent beer, and that was what you drank. You know, you drank it all the time. You know, children drank it, everyone drank it, and then if you wanted to get drunk, you you drunk you drank strong beer, five percent beer. So it's been part of our culture for thousands of years, and people have therefore had to overlook the risks. Yeah, so you're saying where it was drank back then as a way to obviously the alcohol helped maybe clean up the water or disinfect. Correct, the water it did. That's right. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. There's maybe one other thing to say about this, which is that so back in the 18 in Ireland in Britain, people you could buy a whole range of different drugs. You could go to your pub and get beer. You could go to your pharmacy, you get tincture of cannabis, tincture of cocaine, tincture of morphine. People had access to a whole range of different substances just to take away some of the different pains in their life. But uh, over the last century, the drinks industry is very efficient. The drinks industry has kind of worked together to to eliminate all other drugs. And and now the only competition they've got is tobacco. And of course, tobacco isn't really competition because people, you know, usually use one to to, to encourage smoking the other or, or, you know, using the other. In terms of drugs in general, is there such a thing as a safe drug? Well, I people ask that question a lot and I say if you were to drink seven litres of water you would die so don't oh. do it now not many people do but in Britain each year up to about ten people a year have what's called psychogenic polydipsia they just drink and drink and drink they can't stop drinking and they, so nothing's safe if you take it to excess but there are definitely drugs which are more harmful than other drugs so you know at the top of the you know drugs like fentanyl these strong opiates I mean they you know they can kill you in tiny amounts so they're all really dangerous but alcohol you know is dangerous can poison you uh, three young people a week in Britain die of just of alcohol poisoning, often on their 18th birthday when their sort of friends go and get them really drunk. So obviously we, we've kind of known about alcohol and there's been a more the bigger push over here as well. You know, there's been um, new laws brought in to show to prevent uh, advertising at sporting events and that's obviously upset a lot of people and it kind of upset a lot of sporting bodies as well because a big part of their revenue came from alcohol sponsorship mm-hmm. and different things mm-hmm. like that. So in, in your, you know, if you had a magic wand and you were emperor of the world, how would you manage alcohol in our society? Well, you don't need to do anything really very dramatic. And and the reason I say that is because 20 years ago, the French realized, they had a a commission to look at the harms of drugs, and they realized that alcohol was the most harmful drug in France. And uh, and then they they persuaded the French government to do just three simple things. The first one was to price out cheap alcohol. The second was to reduce the drink driving limit. So people basically uh, were much less likely to drink and drive, so they reduced deaths on the road. And the third thing was to stop alcohol advertising. And wonder of wonders, since then, 
again the French have won the World Cup at soccer and they've been in the two finals of the rugby so so the idea that you need alcohol advertising to have an effective sports industry is, is ridiculous and the French have you know they've made major major advances what we've done in Britain and that's probably the same in Ireland is that we've gone the opposite we've actually allowed the price of alcohol to fall in real terms so alcohol today is about three times more affordable than when I was at university back in the, the 19, uh, early 1970s. So we've let the, the real cost of alcohol fall and consumption has gone up, whereas in France, consumption's gone down. But what's great about France is that they're drinking better quality alcohol. And probably doing it spaced out over dinner as opposed to what we do here in Ireland. That's the, the binge culture, which is, you know, become quite excessive in some places, hasn't it? I mean, that's uh, that's also a fascinating sort of uh, phenomenon. I mean, it, there's always been a, a Northern European tradition, probably goes back to the Vikings, that, you know, you get really drunk and then go and fight because that <laughs> alcohol deadens the pain. But we've seen, you know, the average, I mean, you know, there are companies out there selling shots to deliberately to get people drunk fast, which, and that's the most dangerous way to get drunk because the faster you get drunk, the more you lose control. So I'm assuming there was no positives when it came to psychedelic studies that you looked into with alcohol. There was no benefit to maybe including alcohol in a way to cure mental health problems? Well, there are one or two things that if you've got nothing else, then alcohol, you know, if you're going to have your leg amputated, you're at sea, and all you've got is you know, a rum locker, then getting drunk on rum is one way of deadening the pain. So there are times when alcohol was actually quite useful. I mean, it, gave, it gave people courage in, in battle. You know, I mean, it was the British Navy. I mean, you know, the, the sailors were drunk, you know, until about, well, actually until 1974, sailors still got, got a rum ration every day. And it helps them put it with the misery of being, you know, uh, <laughs> yeah. on these leaking ships. Sorry, just going back to the studies that you might have found have worked for certain kind of conditions, you know, anxiety, depression. Good point. Yeah, so this is one of the reasons why alcohol is so widely used is that actually it does help deal with all sorts of different stresses and anxieties. It's not the best treatment for stress and anxiety or depression, but it's the most accessible. And of course, you don't have to tell anyone, you don't have to go to the doctor. So so a lot of people who become dependent on alcohol do so uh, because they are self-medicating for problems like anxiety and depression and bereavement and divorces um, and yeah probably not yeah numbing the pain as opposed to maybe dealing with some of that traumas which might as you said lead on to a depression but exactly. would you ever would you ever suggest or like campaign for ever banning alcohol not at all no 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 absolutely not no because alcohol has the other reason alcohol is, alcohol is a remarkable drug because it does give make people more sociable in small amounts it increases sociability conviviality chattiness so that alcohol is the ultimate social lubricant and that's that's where its real role should be and for most people that is why they drink most people mm. drink socially in order to just have more fun and of course what they're doing is you're dampening down a bit of anxiety meeting strangers you know you're getting a bit of confidence a bit of Dutch courage but alcohol is a great social drug so for most people alcohol is a positive experience the problem is say 10 to 15% of people will end up having problems uh, and the other issue with alcohol is that you haven't got any alternatives and that's what I've been trying to do in developing my, my alternative Arcarel because you know I, I think people getting rid of alcohol would just make life a lot more miserable but if we could find something that was as effective as alcohol in, in 
increasing sociability and you know, giving people fun without the risk to their liver and their brain, etc., then that would surely be the way to go. I'm kind of shocked and upset and frustrated that no one has invented, as you said, something with all the benefits of alcohol and none of the hangovers. I think that needs to be the next frontier of science that we can... Well, that's uh, what I'm doing. I've been, I, I've been, but you'll be even more shocked. I mean, I have. we have invented compounds that we can put into drinks that do that. The real problem is getting people to invest in it because people say, whoa, never been done. And I say, no, that's, that's why we need investment. Yeah, but I mean, you know, you know, what will the drinks companies say? And I say, well, hopefully they'll buy it because it, cause I'm <laughs> sure if you, people were out there having a choice, you know, if you had a choice of something that was like alcohol but much less harmful, you, most people would probably choose the, the alternative, the safer alternative. Obviously, the people that want to get drunk to fight wouldn't, but because and we, you know we we wouldn't we're working on a, a scientific program where where you can actually get rid of those worst excesses of the alcohol, you know the, the aggression and the uh, dependence and addiction and withdrawal. So most rational people, I think, would go for a, a, the less harmful option. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, at the moment here in Ireland, anyway, there's kind of non-alcoholic bars opening up, and they seem to be kind of doing pretty well. And non-alcoholic beers that are, they're selling in shops and stuff seems to be going down a treat as well. But I guess you know the thing about that is you're not getting the same buzz that you would get, obviously. From yeah, from most people, and you know myself included, and I'm sure you. Most people, if you look back over the sort of hundred most fun times of your life, probably fifty of them are <laughs> alcohol involved. <laughs> Fair enough. So, Hen, when is uh, when is your compound and uh, if we're going to you know reach the market and be available? Well, the once we, we we're in the process. We, we're working on the investment memorandum. That's going to go out next month, and hopefully we'll start getting investors because because it's taking a molecule, taking a compound through to the food pathway to, to make it a, a licensed food is quite expensive. It's going to cost many millions of pounds. But uh, we hope that investors will be positive, and uh, if we get the funding from investors, then I think in four to five years it can be out there. I think That'd myself and Cormac, we could be guinea pigs, couldn't we? We could be influencers for you. We could, you know, jump on our socials and go, "Hey, big thanks to Professor Nutt and all the guys for uh, hooking up with this uh, new molecule." But that's insane. That's amazing. Very happy if I, I mean I, was, I think yeah. Hopefully we will get some Irish investors. You guys have been a bit <laughs> of ahead of the game in terms of cannabis, so maybe you'll you want to jump on the uh, the Alcarel bandwagon. I'd be delighted to have uh, Irish money. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, Al Corral, God, who knows? We'll, we'll see about that. We'll talk off the call and we'll talk investment. We'll get in there beforehand and go, here, listen, uh, what's going on? But uh, with regards to, um, I know you've done a lot of work, obviously, with alcohol. Um, other drugs that you've looked at over the years, again, from I know you're very much trying to look at these drugs from a data-driven and evidence kind of based point of view is there any drugs that are out there that are class A uh, illegal street drugs that you think either maybe shouldn't be illegal or shouldn't be as restricted as they currently are oh absolutely magic mushrooms (laughs) I mean to put magic mushrooms in class A alongside crack cocaine is is an act of utter stupidity just a pure political act magic mushrooms were legal in Britain until 2005 and then David Cameron when he was in opposition tried to Scowed Tony Blair into being to doing something, and Tony Blair completely overreacted and made them illegal. So, of course, magic mushrooms should should never be controlled at all. And actually, in some parts of America now, they're they're breaking free. The Oakland, Denver, they're basically they've now been legalized. So, yeah, absolutely, magic mushrooms should be because they they contain a substance called psilocybin, which is actually a very useful, turning out to be, it looks like a, a very useful medicine. Are there any class A drugs that there's actually some benefits to them somewhere? Well, MDMA also. So 
So MDMA, M, when MDMA was discovered in, in the 1970s, it was used for psychotherapy. It was used to help couples. You know, it might have sorted out Brad Pitt and his and Amber if they'd taken some MDMA together instead of fighting. Then the then it was it, when it was discovered, it was called empathy, and it was used to help couples get back together after the sort of you know you know what it's like after over the years you gradually the sort of grit builds mm. up between you and, and, and MDMA cuts through all that. But then of course someone in Ibiza thought, hang on, this is a this is, looks like amphetamine. Oh, let's change its name from empathy to ecstasy and let's start flogging it. And boy, and the kids, you know, the kids liked it. And, and it, you know, you could have fun and dance and love everyone. But the name changed everything. As soon as politicians saw kids having ecstasy, they were determined to ban it. So there's a drug, you know, we've just finished a trial using MDMA, just two doses, two weeks apart, for people with, who are drinking to suppress trauma. We've had powerful effects. It helps people overcome the trauma so they don't need to drink anymore. So those are the two drugs that really controlled drugs which are very, got real u- potential utility in medicine. And then, of course, there's cannabis, medical cannabis. I mean, that, that's, that's a treasure trove of, of, of different medicines. But uh, I think you're beginning to get, have you got that? Is it legal in Ireland now? Medical uh, no, cannabis? Uh, it's no. not. It's still kind of, um, that I think they're working, trying to decriminalise it at the moment. Anyway, I think CBD oils is, is, is a different situation. Uh, Situation. I think you can, in some situations, get it, but it, you know we can't. We're nowhere like some of the states in America, like Colorado, right. where you can yeah. go in and, and purchase it as as of yet. But um, there is so, a lot of people, I think, here pushing for the next um, reform in in our laws to kind of tackle um, cannabis and things like that. But is there any? What, what would you be your views then on on you know some of the other class A drugs? Like I imagine heroin would be something that would continually need to be strictly regulated and tightly controlled. Yeah, because heroin, you know, if you you just inject too much. I mean, inject it. The first thing to say, any drugs you can inject should be more controlled than any drugs you can't inject because injection is a way more dangerous way of taking drugs so it maximizes their harm. So, so But opiates, have, by and, uh, most opiates are pretty dangerous because they stop you breathing. I mean, heroin's bad, fentanyl's worse. Crack cocaine's pretty bad as well because as you smoke it, you get very high levels in the brain and um, and that can kind of permanently distort your brain so that you get very mm. addicted. So those are the those are the two most, and crystal meth is also a pretty, a pretty unpleasant drug, again, if you smoke it. The other three drugs that I think should still be class A, to be honest. I think everything else could move down to B or C or come out completely. Do you think? Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. 
could see less death in certain countries if we had focused more on on weed as opposed to alcohol or would you see any difference yeah I think, I think you would I think if we I read a paper a few years ago it was called a tale of two intoxicants and we compared the harms of alcohol and the harms of cannabis and uh, almost every single measure cannabis is less harmful than alcohol and the reduction in violence would be so nice you know I mean it, I don't know if you guys have ever been to Amsterdam on a Friday night Saturday night it's fun everyone's stoned giggly happy whereas you know if you go to any pretty much any town in England or Scotland on a Friday or Saturday night everyone's biting vomiting the difference is amazing and, and you know this well you saw how, how many police were injured last you know the last Saturday night when they opened the I mean I think there were what 37 police were injured in Britain in England in England one night people are stoned they don't get violent so how how do you think then you'd come back because I'm sure and I know you get a lot of pushback off one people who hear you talk about these drugs and I think just have a knee-jerk reaction to things like magic mushrooms are just terrible, terribly bad and, and ecstasy because I know, I think you might have mentioned this before and in various different talks or interviews you've done that ecstasy, there was nearly like a, I don't want to say a smear campaign against the, against the drug but there was, there was definitely a, a public health campaign in the 90s I think it was that was putting the fear of God into ecstasy. Yeah, who funded that? Well, the drinks industry because when ecstasy was very popular in the 80s the only time in the last 50 years when drink sales started to fall and the drinks industry was really terrified that young people were switching from uh, alcohol to ecstasy so they decided to demonize ecstasy and they were very effective they did for it they got it banned and they've got it into class A and uh, and it's been stuck there ever since when I was yeah. younger I remember my mom had put a picture and it was horrific a girl had passed away from taking an ecstasy Leah Beth. Leah Beth. And she, That's right. she, she had put it on my fridge in, in our house I was probably about 12 or 13 and I remember yeah. for my yeah. 17th birthday she gave me a bottle of I think it was Smirnoff Ice some alcoholic drink oh no kind of, oh. Yeah, introducing me to, to alcohol <laughs> but you know the thoughts of that ecstasy that picture of that girl who took ecstasy and passed away that was you know you never touch a drug and that's just the way it is and that's how I was brought up so t- to even hear you say that there could be in, in a controlled well, situation that it wouldn't be as it, bad it's a medicine it's a medicine and again you know it's all about politics the, the, the MDMA was banned in Britain because it was the way that the, the uh, Tory party could score you know they could say we're hard we're tough on drugs and we uh, just like you know they were just following the, it was the Reagan you know the, the Reagan Nixon war on drugs we were just following what the Americans mm. said well and uh, the drinks industry was strongly um, colluding and, and, and in mis- putting out the misinformation about it in America I mean it's all I mean how, how bad it is in America you can go to in America the penalty for possessing ecstasy is they treat ecstasy as a combination nation of LSD and cocaine. So if you got 50 ecstasy tablets, you get to prison for, for the rest of your life. Because, so they, because they double, you know, the, the, that you add together mm. the sentence. Is, is, is it, there's a hysteria about ecstasy. And I think it, it's, it's, it's because of the name, you know, the people, you know, old judges and old politicians hate the idea that young people might be having ecstasy. I mean, what was that? Did I ever have that? No, probably not. Oh God, they shouldn't have it then, should they? <laughs> Um, would you ever see something like MDMA then being fully legalised or how do you think that it would be best managed? Like, Yeah, I think, it'll, I think it will come. I think it will be a medicine, hopefully, in the next few years. My own personal view is that MDMA should be available for people, um, probably in some sort of arrangement. So, you know, you'd have a, a smart card. It would be sold in pharmacies. You might be allowed to maybe, say, have 12 doses a year or, you know, one dose a month or something in, in a, say, say, an 80 milligram. You know, it could be, it could be made available in a, in a controlled licence setting, as I say, with sort of 
digital recognition of the U and it would be harder for, you know, for people to get excessive amounts of it. And then I think people would use it sensibly and rationally and, you know, they use it on special occasions in the same way as you might you might use a, you know, very expensive champagne or something. It is possible to overdose on ecstasy. And we've got ourselves in this awful situation. And so here's an example. This is perhaps one of the worst examples of how the hysteria about a drug has actually led to it becoming much more dangerous. So ecstasy was banned for political reasons. People just didn't, you know, politicians just didn't like kids having fun. Kids mm. wanted to have fun. And after about 10 years after the ban, it was clear to the United Nations that um, kids were just using the same amount of ecstasy they were using before the ban. You know, the ba- I mean, there's no, it's almost impossible to find evidence of a drug ban stopping people using the drug. <laughs> you just, it's just it, the therapeutic ability of use was removed. Anyway, so then what did the United Nations do? They said, oh, well, if this is they're really naughty, these people. If we can't, if the ban won't stop them using the drug. Let's ban the precursor, the, the, the chemical that's used to make the drug. Yeah. So they did that. They banned saffron and uh, nothing happened until they eventually, 10 years later, they, there was a seizure of 50 tonnes of saffron in Thailand. And uh, that's half the world's supply for making ecstasy. And the United Nations went fantastic front page of the newspaper. We've broken the back of the ecstasy market. They won't be able to make as much ecstasy as before because we have destroyed the precursor. But what they didn't realize but they should have done if they thought about it. Is if you're a chemist, if you're an underground chemist in China and you've got an order for, you know, a kilo of ecstasy and uh, by Friday and suddenly you can't get your saffron from Thailand, what do you do? Mm. Well, you don't put your hand up and say, sorry, Gov, you know, I can't do that. Shall I make an antibiotic instead? Because they just shoot you. So you think, shoot, what am I going to do? I've got, to, I've got to find another oil. So they found another oil. It's called aniseed oil. And aniseed oil could never be banned because it's in all sorts of cosmetics and food. Mm. So they just turned aniseed oil into, they put it through the same chemical process as they would have put saffron. But instead of getting MDMA, because uh, aniseed oil is slightly different from saffron, well, they got a thing called PMA, paramethoxyamphetamine, which is a bit like ecstasy. You can sell it as ecstasy. It can it can give people a bit of a high, a bit of a cause their heart to beat a bit faster. But it's much more toxic. Mm. So suddenly, in 2008, we started seeing people dying, and I guess the same was in Ireland. But in Britain, we had hundreds of deaths from people taking PMA, thinking it was ecstasy. So we actually created death by encouraging the production of a more toxic substance. But then what got worse was after about five years, the Chinese were out. Well, let's let's find another way of making MDMA. Let's forget saffron. Let's start with something else. And they, they discovered a new way of making it. And that was a lot cheaper. And now yeah, MDMA prices have, have dropped to about a fifth of what they were before. So in the old days, it was a 50 to 100 milligram tablet. Now it's a 250 milligram tablet because it's so cheap. So we've had, And now people are dying because people are buying a gram of MDMA and often without any understanding of, of it taking a whole gram and dying. So we've created, we've caused deaths through PMA in trying to ban and block MDMA production and now we've got much cheaper MDMA so we got deaths from lots of MDMA as well so it's a it's too an example of this stupid policy of trying to restrict access with giving paradoxical negative effects yeah that's, that's, that's kind of been yeah there's mm-hmm. one of the, obviously the negative side of side effects of uh, banning and pro- prohibiting different things leads to underground unregulated things uh, cre- causing Precisely. more damage in, in the long run so um, listen professor we could sit here and talk for days I think about a range of different things that you have been uh, studying over the last number of years um, unfortunately we do have to move on at the moment but I know you're on Twitter and you have a few different um, kind of organisations 
organisations that you're involved in, but it, well, where would be the best place to find you online and, and read more about what you're doing? Yes, yeah, so I have I set up a charity, when I was sat by the government, I set up a charity called Drug Science. That's got a very nice website that tells the truth about drugs. So you can go onto Drug Science and follow me on Drug Science, but also you can follow me on Twitter, Prof David Nutt on Twitter. And, uh, and right. also you can read my books. I've got a book on alcohol called Drink, question mark. And I've just got a new book out called Drugs Without the Hot Air. So feel free to read those and, uh, and communicate with me about what you think. Yeah, David, thanks a million for popping on. Well, thanks for giving me so long. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns.